sister play softly. We've already made prayer at home as we've come here. But now once more, Lord, we come before you. Father, we're just mortal beings. We really can't even help one another. And Lord, if accept that you would be in this service, accept your anointing would be upon us. This gathering is in vain. But Lord, you gave us a promise that when we gather in your name, two or three, the I am would be there. The same one that was with Moses. The same one that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. The same one that made himself known in this last day. Lord, you took your messenger, the vessel you used. But Lord, you're so real to us. And Father, now we'd ask you, make yourself real even more so today. We commit ourselves to you and ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you to musicians. Let's just turn directly to the word. We've been a little longer in the preliminaries. Isaiah chapter 42. I'm going to ask you just to be attentive. Help me. Help us. Help the Lord. It's not just helping me. It's just helping what we all will get out of this service. Isaiah chapter 42. If you will, let's start reading from verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. How many can say who that's speaking of? Christ. Christ. Verse 5. Thus saith the Lord, the God, thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness. Out of the prison house. Verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. Behold the former things are come to pass. And new things do I declare. Before they spring forth I tell you of them. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And his praise from the end of the earth, you that go down to the sea, and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof. Let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord. 
and declare his praise in the islands. Friend, we're going to a place where there's going to be continual praise, continual worship, where everything we do will give honor unto him who deserves it all. I believe it starts here. Isaiah 43, just over the page or across the page, whatever way you are, verse 9. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is, a, it is truth. You are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed. Neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Oh, it doesn't that make you feel good? Hallelujah. God bless you. You may have your seats. I'll ask you also to go back to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 24. We always look to the Lord as a ministers, I certainly do, for his leading, for his nudge, for his inspiration. Sometimes you take little notes and you hold them. Sometimes they're held for months, sometimes for years. Sometimes they never even really come, but you just look to the Lord. And I wrote this title down a little ways back, and then this... Well, over a week ago, I was talking to a friend, a minister brother, and we started talking on this, and it seemed to inspire both of us. But I, I want to speak this morning on the rise of the King of glory, and I want to call this worship in redemption. So let's read Psalms 24. Psalms 24. We'll read from verse 7. Lift up your heads. O ye gates, and be ye lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And again David pens in verse 9, lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. I want to, as we go into the subject here, maybe put forth a little scene or a picture or a drama to create a window for us. I debated putting up some PowerPoint, and I thought, no, I, I probably would have too much on my plate for that, but... If I can, you know, I, I, I don't know how you are, but sometimes when I read the Bible and I meditate, you know, I put forth a picture and there's an image that's before us. You know, I, I don't know about you, but the image of God that I held before I was ever saved is far different than the one I hold today. The image I held of God even when I was baptized and even as I began to walk a Christian life, I'll just say that image is becoming so much more real. And, you know, that image, and the Bible would tell us that as we would look as in a glass darkly, 
But as we look in a glass darkly, we behold the image of the Lord. And as we behold it, we are changed into the same image. So I, 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 I feel like may the Lord give me grace to, I, I felt and I just prayed, I said, Lord, I can't even speak this the way, I don't even have words to speak what I'm going to try and speak today. But may the Lord just help us all. Brother Branham would, would say this, and I, if I can just read this from a message he would speak in adoption, and I always love this message, it's, it's under the title, Manifested Sons of God. And it's, it's on the 18th of May in 1960, which is a special day, as to me anyway, and to my mother because she gave birth to me. And so I, I was going to announce today, but it was already announced, that today's a special person's birthday. I come down sometimes, and it's my wife's birthday, and I just say, hey, do you know whose birthday it is today? She says, no. I said, it's Wayne Gretzky's, and it is. I says, but he's nothing. You're the real person. He's lucky he gets to share his birthday with you. So <laughs> she's far more special than he is to me. So amen. I thank God for her. So Brother Bannon would say this, and he says, let's go back to the foundation of the world, and let's get a revelation to see if we're right or not. I don't want to make this sacrilegious by calling God Papa, but I want to say it so you'll understand it. Papa wanted some children. So what did he do? He said, let there be angels, and they came around him. They worshipped him. He was God, the attribute. Now, Brother Bannon would go on and tell us that before God was God. Have you ever heard a theologian say that? Have you ever heard a minister say that? Before the anointing came in this day, under an eagle anointing that's drawing back from the back part of the mind of God. Before God was God. God is an object of worship. Before that, he was Elohim, the self-existing one. But as Elohim, he was not known as God at that time. So the first thing he did was make angels... And the angels saw the glory of God. And when they saw that glory, all they could do, they couldn't help. They were created beings. And all they could look and look is at their creator and say, holy, holy, glory, glory, continual praise, continual worship. And that's all they knew. And they couldn't help but say it. So Brother Manum would say, they worshipped him. He was God, the attribute. Remember, he was Elohim, self-existence, nothing but him. The first thing that come around was angels. And he said, they could do more, no more than worship. They couldn't be lost. They couldn't be sick. They were immortal beings. Now, that's an aspect of worship. Now, I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open. Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah really is a is a book that embodies the whole Bible. And Isaiah, some of his words and some of the things that he would take are the direct result of experiences he had. So in Isaiah chapter 6, it's in verse 1, very familiar. Brother Branham would speak on it. We know it, we understand it, but let's catch a picture. Isaiah being a prophet, he sees a vision. And it, and it was in the year that King Uzziah died I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. 
and his train filled the temple. Now he's capturing something. And he says, and, he, and it stood, above it stood seraphims. Each one had six wings. Two covered his face. Two covered his feet. And with two they did fly. And they cried unto one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he says, and the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with his smoke. When we grew up in, in earth, we had, we'd heard about God, we'd hold, heard stories, but they were way off there. And I would say this, without being born again, without having some sensitivity, without ha our parents teaching us to honor and, and to be to hold even the Bible as sacred and to respect the church and to respect elders, we, we wouldn't really have a concept of the greatness and the holiness and the glory of God. And until that presence of God actually moves upon us, do we begin to understand it, it may be with fear at the awesomeness of God. It may be with, 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 a, with a, a, a love that you'd never experience. I'd say all of these are part of a human intersecting with a glorious God. An awesome God. You know, awesome people, that's a word that people use for everything. You know, you know we went out and we, we went BMX racing or we went on a scooter. Awesome. Listen, I think awesome is a word that you need to leave for. And I'm not saying this, it's not a doctrine. But I'm just saying awesome to me is, is God. Awesome. You know, there's not enough superlatives that describe the glory of God. And so here is Isaiah. He, he's, he's not even, from our earthly perspective, we're not even conscious of this heavenly being. Have you ever been in a meeting where the presence of God comes down? I'll tell you what. A lot of things drop off. I'll tell you what, you're, you're suddenly naked before him. He sees everything. And you're, you're, you're careful what you would do in that moment. That's the God. That, that's what the angels live in all the time. It intersects our lives a little here or there. And, and you know, sometimes we're, we're just brutish. The Bible says, you know, David would talk about himself, Lord, forgive me for my humanity and my beast and my brutish nature. You know, there's a proverb that said, fools will walk with hobnailed shoes where angels fear to trod. And sometimes we speak, you know, just without a real conception of the awesome one that's in our midst. Oh, friends, I, I believe this king is coming into his rightful position. I believe he's coming where there's a people that will honor him. Not just when they get to heaven, but even in earth. They'll, they'll give him everything. They'll allow him to have the preeminence. So in verse 4, or in verse 5 rather, uh, Isaiah says this. He says, woe is me when he sees this vision. For I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And, he, and he, he can hardly fathom it. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his 
in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs off, off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. So now he sees not just the glory that's up there that causes a fear and trembling down here, but now he becomes a partaker of that glory. Now by virtue of, of a purging and a cleansing, he actually can revel in the glory that he's seen. That's where we're coming to because the blood that stands before us allows us to glorify him without fear. Let's, let, me, let me just go a little further because I, I need to develop this a little bit further. But Brother Adam would also speak now and he talks a little bit about it this way. He says, God's great mystery. He had, before the world ever began, something was in the back part of God's mind. He was going to achieve it. And he said, he had a motive in order to let himself be expressed. There wasn't even a moon, a star, an atom, a molecule, or anything. He wasn't exactly known as God at that time because he's an object of worship. There was nothing to worship him. So this is now in Christ the mystery. He says, so the first thing he made was angels. And the angels worshipped him. That was even before there was a molecule in the earth. It was all darkness. It was no sun, no moon, no stars, or nothing. He was God. I, 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 don't, I trust this isn't just words to you. We, we have the privilege today of knowing the mind of God concerning us. And, and it's nothing to be scared of. Why? Because you're drawn to him. You're compelled to him. So, so as in, in maybe a way of a drama, and you know, we create a little bit of a picture, and we have an eye through a prophetic window. Brother Brandon would take questions and answers in Genesis, and he said, let's take a picture. And he talks about that logos that came out from God, and, 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 he, and he, he talks about what we can see with our eyes. And so if we'd see a picture, we would see a picture of these angels worshiping him. And then we would see this God begin to speak and, and all the, all, you know, a, a clinker came and, and, and all of these things and it began to form the universe and the earth and all of these things. But underlying, there's a part that we don't see. When you read a book or you see a story or you see something, you, you don't always see what the, the writer sees. You don't always see what, what, what the screenplay, as they would call it, how they would manipulate it. And then there would be what they call a director's cut, where the director would say he, he had to manipulate the characters to really bring the story out this way. So, so we can read that part of the story, but we also, by virtue of where we are at time, we can also see more to this story. We can see that it was, now it wasn't just angels back there, but it was, it was a much greater purpose. So I'm going to just try and take some snippets here as I go into that this morning a little bit. And, and, and Brother Ram said, God had a purpose and a hidden mystery. That's what I want to speak on. It's unfolded itself right to the present hour that we're living. It was a secret. Now listen, he says it. The angels did not know the secret. And yet they were worshiping God. But they didn't know the secret. So there was a part of his glory that had not been manifest to them. They didn't see all of that glory yet. 
There was a part that was going to be unfolded, and it would have to come down. You with me so far? Revelation chapter 3. <coughs> Revelation 3. Now, in Psalms 24, if you actually read it, there was a glory, but it wasn't necessarily acceptable. It wasn't, let's say, accessible. Why? Because it's signified by gates, by doors. So that glory wasn't just something you could, oh, that's nice. No, the glory was reserved for them to whom God would reveal himself. Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door. So God was desiring in the last age to have man open the door to him. Open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. So there was going to be an intimacy. There was going to be a glory that was there that was not to everyone. That was behind the gate. That was behind the door. It was only going to be accessible. But there had to come a cry, open that gates, open that door. Let me see Jesus. And to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Now this is a throne, and I, we're going to come to this. Even as I also overcame, and I'm set with, down with my father in his throne. So now we're just going to jump right into chapter 4. Now John is, you remember, he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's the scribe. He's in the spirit. He's in the Lord's day. So he's not in time, even though he was there for two years. But as he's being caught up, he is not in time. He doesn't have the restrictions or the encumbrances of looking at things chronologically. But he's seeing in an eternal way. So it's far greater than we, and we can't just look at the book of Revelations as this had to happen and this had to happen. But we're seeing there's a whole grand picture, but there's parts of it that relate to us in time. So John says, after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as the voice of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which shall be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and three sat on the throne. Sorry. One sat on the throne. One. And he says, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in the sight like an emerald. Now, all of this is around the throne. Now, like when you think of of these jasper and sardine stone and the rainbow and the emerald. These are fine and glorious things. And they're surrounding, they're embodying the throne. And then around the throne were four and, 20 four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, 
full of eyes before and behind. This picture, our reading, cannot really give comprehension to it. But by the actions of these beasts, by these four and twenty elders, we're getting a picture. It's all static. But now watch as they're around the throne what it causes them to do. And it says the first beast was like a lion and the second like a calf, the third like a face of a man, the fourth beast was a flying (coughs) eagle. It was in action. None of the other beasts were in action. It wasn't in the ox age that God chose to reveal this. But it was in the eagle age that he chose to reveal this. The flying eagles. Now, the four beasts, each of them had six wings, full of eyes within. They did not rest day or night, but so great that their whole life was consumed by these phrases, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Speaking of the unfolding of God and the glories of God, which would be revealed. Friends, I'll tell you one thing. Whatever the devil tells you, heaven is. And Brother Ram said, we used to have a conception and it was a cloud and you played a harp. That was, he said, that was a misconception until the seals were opened. Heaven is going to be better than you can imagine. I'll say this. It says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. Heaven's going to be more glorious. I, we, we, we've just, I don't think we've recognized that even eternity, eternity will not be boring. But eternity will be further unveiling of the glories of God. In Isaiah talked about, he says, and of his kingdom there is no end. In other words, it keeps on going and going and going. It doesn't stop. It's like our Christian walk. The day I was saved was glorious, but it's better all the time. The fellowship's better all the time. The prayer life is better all the time. The songs are better all the time. The glory of God is better all the time. Verse 9, and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. So this is just the beasts. But now here's the four and twenty elders who had representation on earth. Now they, they begin to fall down before him that sat on the throne. And they worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Now they had a glory attributed to them in the form of a crown. But when they came in front of his glory, they took that crown off and they cast it down. This glory that I've had is nothing compared to that glory. And they began to sing this song, or they began to say these words. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure, his pleasure, they are and were created. Now, this is, this is tremendous. It's actually a glorious scene that's here. And as I said, heaven will be filled with worship. Our lives are a worship. Our walking, our talking can be a worship. Our giving is a worship. 
Everything we do is a worship unto him that gives life and breath and comfort and everything we have need of in this life. We are creatures of worship. Now if you notice this here in verse 11, it says, they give glory to God for you have created all things. So this includes the seraphims, the beasts, the powers. They've only known him as creator. They've only, they're only ascribing glory to a creator over creation. They don't even have the insight to the further part of his glory yet. They only know him as creator. I think the Christian religion is a tremendous religion. But there's many religions that worship a creator. There's, there, they, there's many religions that, that, and there's people who don't even have a religion. They'll go out to the mountains and they'll say, wow, look at this creation. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that in the age of climate, climate so-called issues, and, and they do, and, they, and they're seeking help, you know, let's with the scientists and technology and, and taxes and, and, and things just to help the earth and its climate. Why, why don't you talk to the creator? Like, he's got some solutions, I'm sure. But they don't acknowledge. They'll, they'll take the creation, but they forget the creator. But there's many religions that worship a creator. Brother Adam would talk about the time in South Africa. He's among the natives, and they're dancing around the fire. And, and it's nighttime, and he's with Brother Sidney Jackson. And he hops off his vehicle, and he goes dancing around with those natives. <laughs> yes, he did it. And he comes back, and Brother Sidney just says, what did you just do? You talk about being out of church order. He said, they were worshiping the one true God. That's the glory that he deserves. I thought of creation. You know, we have the forests. We love, we have the plains. We have the mountains. We have rivers. We have hills. We have fields. We have oceans. You know, we, 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 you wake up in the morning and the sun is shining and you look out and it's just like something about the morning that rises up in you and you just, oh, this is great. And, and so you look at that, that's, that's in humanity. That's, that's a natural thing for the creature to worship the creator. To look upon the creation. But you take it now into animal life. And you talk about a diverse animal life. You know, you talk about amphibians and reptiles. And you talk about, you know, mammals. And, and you talk about different types of creatures for different places. And you go to the mountains. And, and you know, there's elk. And there's deer. And there's mountain goats. And, and there's, there's bears. And there's, there, there, there's all cougars and all kinds of things. And, you know, and, and it's, it's just all so fitting. You know... It's for his pleasure. There's mountains that have wildflowers growing on that humans don't ever see. But I'm sure God looks down and says, oh, that's my creation. It's for his pleasure. It's for him. You know, and I, and I think about the animal life. You know, I, I just, just give me a moment here. I'm, I'm, I just need to, I don't think I can rightfully give the glory to God. You talk about a caterpillar and the whole metamorphosis that brings out a butterfly. If I, if I took the time this morning 
And then that butterfly that, that comes and it, it literally dissolves in itself and it comes out. This beautiful creature. And, and, and you think, I had a look. There are 17,500 species of butterfly. Each one is uniquely different. And every time it gives birth, it gives birth to that kind a shape of a wing. One is this way. And a certain color. There's certain colors of butterflies. They, they have colors that are almost metallic in their shine. And they have different natures. And not one is the same. And the creator took the time to make each wing different. And each nature different. And he took the time. And he spent the time with his creation. That's our God. He's a God of greatness. He's a God of variety. He's our God. Don't ever marvel that somebody in church is different than you are. The God that made 17,500 butterflies also made a bunch of different people in this room. Thank God for every one of them. Don't try and make them like you. I'm trying not to be who I am. Yet I want to be the part that he wanted me to be. They say that, you know, beetles, those little things that sometimes creeping around. They said there's 1.5 million species of beetles. Not beetles, species. <laughs> Insects embody 80% of the animal population. And you know that. If you've ever been in a dark room in summer and you hear this, I think he landed on you or me. 80% of the life. Scientists claim that there's 5.5 million species of insects. They've only identified 920,000 of them. Different types of mosquitoes. Different types of dragonflies, all kinds of species of things. And they were all created for his pleasure and for his glory. They say the bees, that there's 20,000 species of bees. If we wouldn't have bees, we wouldn't have forests. We wouldn't have trees and plants and flowers. Nurseries would be going out of business. Because bees form an incredible part of the ecosystem in pollinating and transfusing germs from the male and the female plants. Bees do all of that. Now you talk not only about creating things, but now watching over things. And you talk about a God who not only created all of that what we can see, but now talk about the macro world. When you look up at the stars and you look at the solar systems and there's a display every night and you can see it and how often do we pass it by? You know, and we look and there's the Big Dipper and there's the Little Dipper and, and there's the North Star and, and there's all of these things. It's there all the time. This is the Creator. This is the glory of His creation. Oh, what a great God we serve. 
And they say that the whole universe, they, they, say, they say it's in such a way, it's like the Milky Way is in such a constellation, and, and how it's all held together. Science actually says it's, it has an elasticity to it. That even if, if, you know, that the planets don't go crashing into each other, but if it would stretch, it actually comes back. And they can't figure it out. Friends, we, we haven't even... Mankind for years knew it was there, but they haven't even tapped into the greatness of it. Now, that's the macro world. And then there's the micro world. In a little drop of water, there's a whole world within that. You know, you've all heard of the, the diseases that are, that are out there. It's just a germ can be carried in a, in a little air molecule or a little water molecule. They say the, the cholera that, that existed... In the time of England, it started in a household where a little baby had cholera. The mother wiped its face, threw the, the rag into a pail of water, and then threw the water in the street, and it spread across the city, all because of a drop of water. Now, in that little drop of water, there's another world. They, 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 they break it down, and friends, it's for His glory and for His honor. Below the grass, which you can't see right now, he says, there's a world that's so detailed, full of earthworms and, and, and all of the different things, and it's all for a purpose. Beneath the water, beneath the pond that may be green on top, the, the li there's, there's lilies, there's rivers, there's oceans. There's a whole world that lives underneath there. The ecosystem, the trees dissolve the CO2, and, and, and we breathe out the, the O2, and, this, and, the, and, and, it, and it all harmonizes and comes back and comes back, and God looks after it. And water, which has a capillary action. Water, no other liquid has it, but it, it creeps up the side in a plant, draws water, and it comes up, and, and I forget the scientific name for it, but it comes up and it draws up, and it, and it causes that plant. How does that happen? How is it that when water freezes, it turns to ice, but the ice doesn't go to the bottom, it stays on top, so it can be melted again? Well, I'm glad for that. All of these things we don't... And so here, what's happened here in Revelations 4, they're worshiping a creator. What about our bodies? Fearfully and wonderfully made. I was just talking with a client the other day, and she had a tumor that was five years in the making on, on her shoulder. And went to see a specialist. They said, oh, it's this, it's this, it's this. And she went to see another specialist. In fact... My wife doesn't even know it, but it's a specialist that we saw, a, a Dr. Aronic, and, and now he's, he's into this specialized type of surgery where they treat this, it's like a tumor, but what happened is the body saw it, and it began supplanting enzymes, and it actually enlarged the growth of the tumor, because it saw a foreign substance, but it was trying to do it. But now they can go in, and they have a technology where they, they put something into that tumor, it expands, it expands, and then it expands in itself, and it dies without surgery. That science has always been there. Our, our, our human, this, this, this woman who's a, is a complete unbeliever, and she's sharing this with me, our bodies are amazing. Praise the Lord. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the physical body. What about the spirit man? What about the soul? We haven't even begun to tap into the one who deserves all the glory and the honor. 
<coughs> Romans chapter 1. Now, let's just take it a step further. This is the natural creation. We haven't even gone into the further part of his glory, which is what I want to focus on for the next little bit here, the rest of the service, really. <coughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All the world can know. You know, like, I had a friend who, you know, he, he, we separated many years ago because God was dealing with me, and I said, I've got to go this way. He says, what, what, are you, what are you chasing? I said, I don't know, something's calling me. Meet him 25 years later, and he says, did you find what you're looking for? I says, I says absolutely. What I have, I'm... I will take over anything in this world. I'm not afraid to die. He looked at me. And he goes, oh, wow, okay. You're sold. <laughs> I think I am sold. And he says, well, I know one thing. This earth didn't just fall together. There was no big bang. That's a revelation in itself. That's, that's more than all the learning of many scientists have. So he says, they are without excuse. Now, the things that are seen, his eternal power, and the Godhead, he says, Okay? They are without excuse. I can drop in verses 21 to 24, really talk about those who heart was darkened and, and be, became fools. Verse 26, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God unto an image made like to corruptible man. Now, where does that come from? That comes from heaven. When a fallen angel desired to get worship in heaven, but he couldn't get it and was cast down, he's still at work today. So he's still trying to take glory and worship unto himself, and he will continually try to do that right to the end. But oh, I thank God. Brother Moses, when you spoke the other day on there's a seed inside of you, I can't follow what they follow. Change the glory of the uncorruptible God. So let's go to verse 25. They changed the truth of God into a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. So if you look at it, the devil tries to turn this around, and how often he will get man to look at some other form of creation, which is generally another man or a woman, and try to get you to place the worship on that person. What does it say in 1 Thessalonians? At the end, he will desire to show himself as God in the temple of God, desiring worship. There's a whole part of this service I'm not going to get to today, and I'm, I didn't even put it in my notes. But there's an image coming to the mark of the beast. It's an image un, unto the beast, and it's the marking of the beast. And all the earth will worship it. Well, I'll just say it this way. There's many people that, that won't bow to that Catholic system in letter, but they bow to it in doctrine, even by, by, by the Godhead and even by other things. And they actually are giving their worship not to the one, but to three. They're giving their worship. And, and you might think, the image isn't just in Rome. The image is the image that's built up in false doctrine. 
And we've been called to come out of those things. Oh, I thank God that we can worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the image, lest we think, well, we're safe in the message. Even in the message, they'll erect images. My whole, I don't want to preach the service, but they'll erect an image to a holy man like they did in the time of Daniel. When political powers began to exercise controlled worship, and they want to control it, except you see it through this man's eyes, through this doctrine, through this and this, and they'll get you to try to bow to that. I'll say that the end result of everything we have is Christ. It's not a man. It's not a church. It's not this church. But the goal is to have a relationship, every individual, with Jesus Christ. Not the minister, not a creed, not a doctrine, but God in man. If you ever doubt that, go and read the church age book. Brother Bannon in the beginning talks about how he gives an introduction to the church age book. And he says, and this whole message will unfold and will make us ready for the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the very end, the last chapter of the whole book, he says this. Not for one moment do I bring a message that people may follow me or join my church or start some fellowship or organization. I have never done that, and I will not do that now. I have no interest in those things, but I do have an interest in the things of God and people. And if I can accomplish one thing, I will be satisfied. Here's the one thing. To see and establish a true spiritual relationship between God and man, whereby men will become new creations in Christ, filled with His Spirit, and live according to His Word. I'll tell you what, that is the desire of every true minister, every true father for his children, every true mother for their children. I don't want them to just follow me what I believe, but I pray that they may come into union with God. I pray that they may know the God that means everything to me. That's the desire that we have here today. Let that be first and foremost. He says, I invite and plead and warn all to hear his voice. Yield your lives to him, even as I trust in my heart. I've given my all to him. God bless you, and may his coming rejoice your heart. I think that's a wonderful desire. There's another part. I'm not gonna, I said I'm not going to preach it, so I'm not going to preach it. But the nature of man is to follow something, to look for a Messiah. Even at the time that Jesus came, they were looking for a Messiah, but they were looking for him in the wrong way. They were looking for a general that would get them to fight Rome and to, to tear down Rome that was oppressing them, when really what they needed was a change of heart. So when he came in such a way, they failed to see him. Today, man will look at a politician to lead them. You might say, well, as a Christian, I most identify with this political party, with this leader. I'll just tell you this, they're all corrupt. You can't hang your hat on one of them. You might, you might have to do a part for a while and say this is better than the alternative, but I'll tell you what, there's one vote that you need to have. That's the vote of Jesus Christ. You can cast your vote on movie stars and on celebrities. I just tell my wife the other day, well, you know, here's a, a couple that are just born in sin like everybody else, but they happen to have some royal attachment to them. They come to Canada and everybody is, ooh, wow, ooh, wow. 
They're just people, friends. They're just people. And everybody's fallen over themselves. The most royal blood is those who are born of the, the blood of the Jesus Christ. All the movie stars, all the religions and ministries. Well, i got to follow this man. i got to follow this man. What did it say in, in Matthew 24? If they say to you, he is there, he is there, I say, believe it not. If we don't point everybody to Jesus Christ. In fact, you can even point them to William Branham and you can put a period on that and it's wrong. Pardon me if that sounds flat. But it is flat. It's easy to put your religion and stop at a man when the Holy Spirit doesn't have to deal with your heart. But God wants your heart. He wants a relationship with every one of us. He wants it with every one of us. The rise of the King of Glory. I've seen too much in the Bible to see all the types and all the shadows to have it just bottled up that you have to follow this man or this doctrine. I'll tell you what then, it's not going to be any man, it's not going to be any doctrine, but it's going to be the one who sits on the throne. He's going to rise in our midst. He's going to be first and foremost. That's the one I'm looking for. That Holy Spirit. We're not interested in lateral relationships but vertical relationships. <coughs> you can even serve your church too faithfully. You can serve your pastor too faithfully. Why do you hunger? Why do you thirst, the prophet said. He says, it's the Holy Spirit. It's God trying to get you this revelation. It's not your wife. It's not your husband, not your pastor not your church. Remember, he's Brother Ram say, all hell is against this revelation. God and man. Let's, I gotta move this along. Let's go to Revelations 5. So we finish with Revelations 4. There's a scene where they're all worshiping a creator for his creation. But there's something the angels didn't know, that the seraphims didn't know. And it starts in verse 5. And now in the throne, it says, I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now it's sealed. Nobody knew what was in that book. And Brother Branham would begin to talk a little bit about it, and he would talk in, in the in the in the uh, seals, and in, in particular, he would talk about it in the, the breach between the seals because he's taking now between the church ages and the seals, he's talking about there's something that happens in time then, but it's a furtherance. It's an open door. It's a further part of his glory. Now, I'm, I'm going to take this. He says, now this book, he says, it's a mysterious book, but he says it's a book of redemption. So one thing that they never saw is the attribute of God, not just as a creator, but they didn't see he wanted to be a savior. That was another part of his glory. He wanted to be a healer. That was another part of his glory. 
That was a part, friends. Salvation is a glory that the angels don't know about, but you and I can know about. Healing is something we can know about. It's a glory of God. It's a further part of his glory. They didn't know what was in that book. He said it was a book of life in one space, which is a record of, the, of the, all life on earth, our deeds, but it's also the Lamb's book of life. In other words, there was names that were written in there before there ever was a speck of stardust. Friends, there was a glory that was happening in, in the attributes of God, in the mind of God, when the sons of God shouted for joy before the foundation of the world. It was a worship. It was a glory. And now we're coming into that in the season on this earth. I feel like Brother Branham sometimes. He reads it. And he stops. And he breaks up. Don't, doesn't it make you feel like going in the corner and crying for a while? That's the way I've been. I said, Lord, I can't even express this. God wants it so personal, so real. I'm going to tell you, because I've had little seasons of it sometimes, not all the time, but when you cross over, you're not going to be just one of a number. You're going to have every part of the affection of God to yourself. You're going to know him in the fullness of salvation and the love that he had for you. You're going to know him for yourself. I don't know how he can do that with many people, but he can. Friends, all I can see is the love of God to us. Day by day as he's shaping us and he's molding us and he's causing us to be more like him. Oh, it's his love to us. I'm going to leave parts of this just to get where I want to get to. So this book was on that, on that in the hand of him that sat on the throne. And the angel proclaims who, in verse 2, I'm not going to necessarily just read it, but just summarize it. Who can open the book and loose the seals? Nobody in heaven or earth, under the earth, was able to open the book or look on it. And John, a type of the redeemed, of the bride, he says, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book and neither to look thereon. Then in verse 5, one of the elders said unto me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So what does he begin to identify here? This one, he's got roots that go back to David. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah of the Old Testament types. It's beginning to speak of something that was always there. It was hidden in this drama. The angels were there. The earth was created. There was a garden of Eden. There was a hidden part to all of that. That wasn't seen. The mystery of what happened in the garden of Eden wasn't truly known. But at the end of time, God's making it known. He's making it known to those that they might start to see themselves in this plan of redemption. Oh, it was there 
when God provided skins for Adam and Eve going out of the garden. He killed something. He was the first one to kill something, showing that he himself would be killed. It was there when Abel went to worship at the garden. And I'll say, real worship isn't just, look what I can do. Look at how I can do this. I'll tell you what, I, I enjoy our musicians because it's not just how they hit the notes and the songs and you might not think I know how to th- hit those things. I don't. I hit notes that aren't even there. But the point is, is I watch them and what I do catch is the spirit. And when there's a real worship, friends, God doesn't care about how, I, I'm not saying you're gifted and you need to be gifted and you need to stay in your calling. But on the other hand is, God just wants your heart. And there's something, there's an odor. There's, there's, there's an aroma that comes when there's a believer in the spirit and worshiping. And I believe that Abel had some of that. And Abel was demonstrating because there was a seed that was left in Abel. And, 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 that, and that, that, that seed that was in him, when he came to worship by revelation at the Garden of Eden, I believe it was with blood. And it was with a weeping and a contriteness, knowing that something had to die for him. And as he came, he wasn't just rah, 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 rah. Friends, real worship sometimes is weeping in your seat. It's just crying before the Lord. And real worship may express himself in jumping around the platform, as our brother Max did the other day. But worship before God is a great thing. But that same, that same enemy that was in Eden, or that was in heaven, he who saw the angels worship, and then iniquity rose up in him one day. I want some of this worship. He exists on the earth even today. He came into Cain, and he tried to replicate it mechanically, but he missed the revelation. The Bible speaks of those that hold the truth in unrighteousness. There's people that even in this message, they hold the message and they have such a lousy spirit. They're just ready to condemn anybody, ready to do whatever. But I'll say this, the Noah that stood in the ark pleading, that wasn't just Noah, that was the spirit of Christ in Noah. The Moses that when God came to him and said, my, your people have sinned, separate for yourself from them. I'll make of you a new nation. And Moses threw himself in the breach. Who was it that threw himself in the breach? That wasn't just Moses. That was the Christ in Moses. That was the Christ who was the root of David. That's the one who was there. Moses, I, I, listen, I no doubt the angels must have looked at it and said, he disobeyed you, Lord. But God didn't even wink at it. Why? God was writing a story. You know, there's this story. How did he do that? How is it that Abraham... Oh, my goodness. i got to take one or two of these. Hold Revelations 5 there for a minute. Go back to Genesis 14. We're still okay. We have now concluded the message of the hour. Because that's when I started. It was exactly an hour ago. So I've got a few more. Minutes here to go. Genesis 14, verse 17. Here's Abraham. There was a seed that was in him that he couldn't explain. Scripture 
that Brother Moses took on Wednesday was such a blessing to me. But in Galatians 3, it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were promises made, not to seeds as of many, but as of one, thy seed, which is Christ. Christ. There was something back there that witnessed of Christ. It did it in the garden. It did it in Abel. It did it in God's seed right through Noah, all the others. It was Christ that was being identified. Verse 17, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedarlamer and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheva, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed them, and he blessed... Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed the Most High God, and which, deli- which had delivered the, the enemies into his hands. And out of this, it wasn't even written anywhere, he gives of himself, of his goods, of his gain, tithes. Why? Because he was identifying with the one who who blessed him, sustained him, and there was a worship that went back. Did you know our tithes and offerings is worship? Sometimes, you know, I, I was just, we were listening to the tape the other day, and Brother Bam said, no matter how much money the church is, you need to pass the collection plate. I sometimes feel we need to do that. And we do do it. We have meetings, we do things. I don't just want to make it a form, because then we just, oh yeah, da, da, da. And it's even like with communion. Some people do communion every month. It's repetitive. That's fine. I, I always like it to mean something. I always like it to be special. Because it is a special time. Here was where communion started. Here was where tithing started. It was a seed. It was something reciprocating. And what was it? It was worship. It wasn't mechanical. It was from another level. It was redemptive worship. It was recognizing he's saving me. He's keeping me. I can't help but give to him. And he gave him tithes. And in the same instant, next verse, the king of Sodom said unto Abraham, give me the persons you take the goods to yourself. Abraham had given his part to the Lord. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I will lift up mine hand to the, unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I will not take even a thread to a shoe latchet, lest you would say, uh, of anything that's yours, lest you would say you made Abraham rich. I, I don't want what you're giving me. I don't want a string attached. I want my God, the supplier, the one that gives me breath, the one that takes care of us. Oh, maybe the economy isn't good. Maybe this isn't good. He takes good care of me. He takes good care of his own. He's never too late. He watches over us. You know, what was it that was in? What was it that was in? Elijah, or I think it was Elisha, when the king of Syria comes with Naaman, the leper, and, and just he had hardly a thing to do with it, and Naaman is healed, and he's down in the muddy water, and he comes back and he says, here, let me pay you for this. He says, no, I don't want any of it, because it's not 
a duty. And then what was in Elijah, but what was not in his servant, who chased after Naaman and said, hey, we'll take a little. You know what? We, on second thought, we're going to take a little. No. He missed the mark. Friends, there was something. What was it that was in David? When David would come and Saul, who was his enemy, and he comes down and he sees Saul sleeping, he goes down with his men and he cuts a little bit off of the robe. And he cuts it off and he runs out. And then there's his men. There's Joab. And Joab says, this is your opportunity. God's given. Just kill him. Just kill him. No, David would not let that happen. What was David? He was a type of Christ. That's the same God that was back then. That's here today. In fact, David, that little piece he cut, the, ne- the Bible says, the next verse, his heart smote him. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Friends, there's, there's got to be within us some kind of a moral compass that is not contrived, that is not man-made, but it's the person of Christ that comes into us. That knows when it's the right time to say a word. That knows when you need to back off. That if you can have that person, you can, you can have the Bible, you can have the quotes, you can have the message, you can have the best search engines. And in every situation, what do I do here? What do I do here? But if you get him, you've got everything you need. <coughs> Numbers chapter 20. You talk about a form of worship. Numbers chapter 20. Verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather the assembly together, thou and thy Aaron, thy brother, and speak unto the rock before thy eyes, and it shall bring forth his water. Now look, it's kind of strange that he gives this designation in a masculine sense of the rock. His water. And he says, And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt thou give the congregation and their beasts to drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear ye now, you rebels, must we fetch you water out of the rock? Now, he was told to speak to the rock. He'd, he'd hit the rock before. But who was the rock typing? Christ. So Moses, a prophet, made a mistake. And we try to make our prophet infallible, like he never made a mistake. We canonize him. Now, he was a man. We don't worship that man. We worship Christ. The word was infallible, but that was just a man. And now you see, rising up, oh, this is where you've got, this is how you've got to do it. This is what you've got to do. And, and they failed to see that Christ wants to come in our heart. Don't let anything stop you short. Are you with me? The rise of the King of glory, he's going to be ruling and reigning in every heart, in every life. In every young person, in every preacher, in every person. It's not, just, it's not just one great man. There's one great man. That's him. Brother Branham will be worshiping the same one that I worship. 
He did not bypass his theophany. One did. That was Christ. <coughs> and water came out of the rock after he hit it twice, even though it broke every type. If I go back quickly, and I, I won't have time to jump into all these, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, And they did all drink the same spiritual drink. They all drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Not Jesus. Christ. Christ means the anointed one. Christ means, and, and you actually can take it, the Christ, because that was the revelation that came to Peter. The Christ. Thou art the Christ. The anointed one. But there is another anointing on a people. That's another service. I'm not going to get into that today. Who will also be the Christ in him. Let's just take, just, just jump with me. Hebrews, uh, I'll just read this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. This is Moses. Well, verse 25. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ. Christ in the Old Testament? Yes. The root of David. A hidden plan the angels didn't know about. Nobody knew about. But it was redemption. It was redemption's cord. And it was a worship that was there. And Moses, he could have taken away with Egypt. But he says, no, there was something in him. Those people are God's people. I will go with them. I'll take the reproach of Christ. You can't look with natural eyes. When I was a young man and I, I, I was playing football at the university and I was doing all these other things and, you know, and people, oh, you made the team, yeah, you know, and you kind of go parading around like you're something, you're nothing. Nothing but a big clot of dust. Slightly bigger now, but that's beside the point. Him. He's everything. I don't want... When I come and minister, that the glory would somehow come to me. There's a part that we thank God for him, but I so much thank God for the Christ in the congregation, the Christ in the musicians, the Christ. That's the one we've got to see. Friends, sometimes the devil will point you to the human part, and we major on the human part. Ah, they didn't do this. They, you've got to look at the Christ. You've also got to look at the Christ in your own life. There's many other scriptures I could take, but I'm just trying to portray a thought or a principle. It was David. I'll just, let's use this one. 2 Samuel 23. I didn't give you this one, but 2 Samuel 23. The root of David. Who was the root of David. 2 Samuel chapter 23, let's drop down to verse 15. David was in a battle, in the midst of this battle. The Philistines were in Bethlehem, and David says in verse 15, And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me a drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. David was just a natural king. And the three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines, they said it was miles. 
of enemy territory that they had to go through. But their king desired a drink. They broke through that. And they finally got to the water of Bethlehem. There was something about that water. And they, they took it. And they brought this water to David. And here's David as a desire. But he wasn't the real king. And David with the seed that was in him. David the psalmist that loved the Lord. That worshipped God. That wouldn't take the life of Saul. David, a man after God's own heart. David sees this water and he says, I love this water. But really the glory belongs to God. I'll pour it as an offering to my God. There's the real seed of Christ. There's the one. Not when you did this. Yeah, I did this. and yeah, I, No, it's not what we did. It's what Christ did does in us. Friends, how is God raising in his people? Not when they exalt themselves, but when they humble themselves. Because when this glory comes down, we're careful. I am God. I'll give my glory to no other. I'll share it with no other. And we say and we pray, Lord, come into our midst and let your spirit move upon hearts. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory. And we give him the glory. We give him the honor. He's raising. He's raising. It was Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. God comes to him and says, Solomon, whatever's in your heart, ask for it. And I'll give it to you. You can have anything. Solomon, son of David, says, oh Lord, give me a heart. Give me wisdom to judge your people. And God says, you've asked. I'll give it to you. But what you didn't ask for, because you asked the right thing, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you glory and power. I'm going to give you all these things. I'm going to subdue your enemies. I'm going to do all of these things. Oh, it was the glory of God. The queen of Sheba came from far. The glory of God was seen upon that kingdom. It was a type of the millennium. And Jesus comes and says, here's this little lily. I says, Solomon in all his glory was not even arrayed like this one. And I would say, let's just, let's just jump over to Luke. My time is just escaping me. Luke chapter 19. Verse 36. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. Luke 19, verse 36. And then when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud, loud voice for the mighty works that they'd seen, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Now, there was, there was, they, they didn't know that they were fulfilling Scripture. They didn't know that that little donkey, that little foal that had never been riven on, Jesus called for it because it was the time, it was the season. He was coming into Jerusalem as a king. 
The one that was in Abraham. The one that was in David. The one that was in Moses. The one that was in the prophets. Now is coming. He's rising. He's coming into his glory. And as he's coming into his glory, verse 39, and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Jesus didn't stop it now. He said, he answered, I will tell you, if they hold their peace, the stones will immediately cry out. This was a season to give praise and glory to God. This was creation groaning. The king has arrived. That same creation, just a few weeks or a week or two later, when he was being taken up to the Mount of Crucifixion, and he was up there on the cross, creation groaned, and the earth quaked, and it was a redemption. The price was paid. Oh, friends, and then it began. There was, there was the angels that were there. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he stayed there. Why? Somewhere, the Bible says in Hebrews, he looked down through time, and he saw the glory that was ahead. He saw the worship that he would get from the blood-bought. He saw you and I this morning, and he says, I'll go through this cross. The angels won't know what's happening, but my people will know. They'll know that there's no other God, but I am the only Savior. He's the only one that's worthy this morning. Many religions, they'll give their due to a church, and, and if we're not careful, we do the same thing. But I'll say this, you need to see your Redeemer this morning. You need to see your Savior this morning. Let's finish with Revelations 5. We'll just go back to that and we'll close with this this morning. In verse 6, Revelations 4 had tremendous worship, but 5 is on another level. It's another glory. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Those seven spirits came through messengers. Friends, we, we, we like to place this as happening in 1963, but that lamb was on that throne having as it had been slain. It was in time. Brother Bram would call this, the moment that this happened was the most sublime moment. But those seven spirits, it was there in Paul when he was whipped and lashed. And he says, that light that I met, that persecution, I denounce it all. Everything I've done compares nothing to what the glory of God that met me on the road to Damascus. It was men like St. Martin when, it, when an angel showed to him, a man with tremendous things, and it says, Martin, don't you see who I am? Worship me, Martin. And Mar Mar Martin looked at that and he says, no, you're wearing a crown. The saints will crown him. It's not time. You're a false angel. In him, something wouldn't happen. Brother Adam would talk about those angels in heaven. They would not give their allegiance to Lucifer. They would not worship him. He said the real believer has the same spirit as those angels had. They will not give their worship to another. 
You alone deserve the glory. It was in men like Martin Luther. Just reading this biography of Martin Luther, we have no idea of how God raised one man at a time and a season and just in such a way. The heaviness of that Roman system and God made a way for somebody to come out. It happened so quietly. We're, we, we just passed a, a, two years ago, in 2017, October through 31st, they say, that was the day Martin Luther, 500 years ago, 500 years ago, he took and he nailed the hammer, the 95 Thesis protesting things. When you actually go back, he said, it may have been just glue and pasted it on. In fact, he may have sent somebody. But Luther... He wasn't trying to start a revolution. He just couldn't take what was going on. Something in his heart could not deal with the payment for indulgence and, and viewing of relics and not seeing the real Christ. And Romans chapter 1 verse 17 came to him and he came down and he said, and, he, and it says, the just shall live by faith. And he says it was like the gates of heaven opened up to him. And he began to worship the God. Not a relic of a cross. And not the bones and fragments of Peter. And not these other things. But the Christ. The real one. The one that belongs and deserves all the glory. And it was Wesley coming into a service. And he says just the Moravians taught him a little something. And he says his heart was strangely warmed. And it was in a time, it was a simple way. And then there was a prophet that came in this last day. And just in, in simplicity. And then here's you and I. We don't even recognize the day that you walked out from your friends. The day Abraham left the neighborhood. The day that Noah separated himself and started building an ark. It may have happened so innocently. The day that Rebecca came to the well was like any other day. But it was glorious. Oh, it was glorious. I don't ever regret the New Year's Eve that I stopped. That was the first New Year's that I never went out to drink with my friends. To me, it was a battle and I went through it, but I said, oh, it was heavenly. I came back and knelt at my bed while everybody's out drinking, raising my hands to what I didn't understand what was happening, but it was glorious. It was redemption. It was God coming to me, the same creator, the same one that made all those butterflies, the same one that's got the solar system, the droplets of water, but now there's a worship coming from redeemed subjects of him. Listen to this. We're, we're trying to get this finished. And he took the book, verse 7, out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he took down the book, and when he had taken the book, rather, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Now, they had come, and they fell down with him in verse 4, but now here they fell down, having every one of them harps, and it says, and golden vials, full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Something David had that Joab couldn't understand. When David said, don't kill Absalom, even though Absalom rose up against him, Joab just went and did it. You know, there's a reason that Joab's not written in the heroes of faith. 
He was a warrior, but he wasn't a hero. Why? The vials, which are the, full of the odors, the prayer of the saints. Now, here's another worship. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, thou hast redeemed us to God, by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. And hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Musicians can come. Brother Branham's preaching this in the seals. And they ask him the question, were these the redeemed? He says, oh, no. And he goes on reading the question. And something stops him. And he can't figure it out. He says, is somebody sick? And then somebody says, read the question again. He's tired. He was not in control. God was in control. Somebody asks a question. Are these the redeemed? Oh, Yes, they are. They're the redeemed. They're the ones singing the song. Oh, I would have made a mistake, he says. Oh, if he isn't here. Oh, friends, if he isn't there, if he's not here today, if he's not with you tomorrow, if he's not with you at school, if he's not with you at home, what do we have today? I'm so glad we can see him. Let's just finish this, verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. In Daniel it says, and the bride ministered to him. They worshipped him. They, this, this, friends, this message is the calling of the bride. It's not a calling to the church it's not a calling to understand what Brother Branham said, but it's a calling to come and stand by the king's side. Come stand by me. There's a room beside me. There's fellowship with me. There's joy with me. And these thousands times thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom Friends, we may not be saying it in the way we're going to do it one day today. But I'll say this, this to me is so real. It's greater than anything. When I actually finally bow down before this great creator that said, Ed Hammermeister, I'm choosing you. I'm calling you to be with me in eternity. How can I but help but love him? How can I help but give my all to him. And John says in verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and, and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth on the throne. And in chapter 3 he says, you're welcome to come and sit with me in my throne. Let's stand together. That's not for everybody, friends. But that's for a group of people. Oh, I, I worship the Creator. I worship Him. But oh, my Redeemer. I worship Him more than anything. The angels don't know. They can't understand us. They can't understand what it's like when we were sick and He came down our way and healed us. Job went through a great trial. He didn't understand it. 
And in the middle of the trial, he says, I know my Redeemer liveth. And I shall know him. And I shall see him. I love him today. Why don't we sing unto him? Why don't we just take a moment? Maybe it, I said I couldn't express it. But may, may it come from our hearts. Somewhere, maybe you drop into a tape or a prayer closet. Or you start singing a song somewhere. May that God come to your place. Do you desire that? Well, we finished on this. I'm going to have to sing worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. You good with that? <coughs> I don't have the words coming up here. Okay, let's start. Hear the cries of the shackled from. 